And I want to share a verse with you, which is really the series verse, to help you kind of have an idea of where we're going over the next few weeks. And I want to start here in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. It'll be on the screens, but... But I want to read this to you, and I'm just going to read it pretty slowly because I want you to kind of digest what's being said. But listen to this, starting in verse 18. And I will be your father, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. So in that one verse... There are some massive ideas that God wants us to see. Because there in 2 Corinthians, Paul is saying something about God that is so important that we see. And he goes on and he says it this way. He says, and I will be your father. Now, I don't know if you relate to God as your father. I don't know if that's how you see God. I don't know if that's how you enter into the story. But I think it's important that we see here in Corinthians that Paul is helping us see that there's something important about Father. And so God very clearly says, I am revealing myself to you in this way. And there's a reason. And I want to talk about that reason over the next four weeks because this, my friends, is critical that we understand. And here's a few things else that he says. He says that you will be my sons and daughters. He doesn't say you'll be my slaves. He says you'll be my sons and daughters. So there's this interesting dynamic that's happening where where Paul is introducing to us something that is so based in relationship and family that we've got to really get a hold of. And then he ends like this and says, and as he ends with sons and daughters, he says, says the Lord Almighty. I like that. Says the Lord Almighty. What he's saying there is, I'm going to make it happen. Like when the Lord Almighty says something, when he says something, he does it. That's important. It's a promise. He's saying, this is what's real. I don't care what they told you in school. I am the Lord Almighty. And when the Lord Almighty says something, that's what he's going to do. And it's all wrapped up in this little verse. And so this little verse is going to be kind of our guide these next four weeks because I believe God wants to shift some things in us so that we can grab hold of the very heart of who God really is. Because when we grab hold of that, it is a game changer in our relationship. When we begin to understand that we are sons and daughters of a loving father, It's huge. It is a massive shift for many people. Now, I think it's important we understand that from the very beginning, God hasn't been, from the very beginning, God has been trying to communicate this to humanity. But I think sometimes what happens is in the middle of it and some of the problems we've had, or you know what I'm talking about, we we get in trouble, we do this, we do that. We, We don't see always what God is really doing. But I think it's important you know that the Bible, which is a very important book for us because it contains the very word of God is which we understand. And that's what we say. And so when you open the Bible, you you begin to read it. These are not just words on a page. These are the actual word of God for you. So you're like, how do I hear God? Read the Bible. It's very simple. You want to hear God? Read it. And so that's how we, we approach this as Christians. But the Bible is divided up into two main sections. Perhaps you've heard this. The Old Testament, 
and the New Testament. Maybe you've heard that. Maybe you've heard it called the New Covenant or the Old Covenant. I don't know how you've heard it, but, but, but it's divided into two sections, Old Testament and New Testament. Now, if I was to sum that up for you, what's going on in the Old Testament and what's going on in the New Testament, just in a nutshell, or maybe just in one word, this is kind of how it gets described. Is that in the Old Testament, it equals law. And then in the New Testament, it equals grace. Get this. So, so Old Testament law, New Testament grace. Make sense? And so it's, it's kind of an overarching idea just to kind of give you an idea of what is happening in those two different books. In other words, this is how people related to God. So in the Old Testament, the way that people related to God was through the law of God, through the rules and the regulations that God had created. And that is how they entered into relationship with God. Does that make sense? And it's important you see this, but, but in the New Testament, there's been a shift. And there's a guy named Jesus that showed up, son of God, came into this world, heard the story maybe, and what happened by his work in this world, it shifts things from law to grace, that there's a massive shift that occurs now, it's important you see that this wasn't just some kind of random shift or that somehow God was like confused by what humanity was doing and he was like, oh, shoot, we just got to come up with a new idea. I don't know if you know this, but God is not surprised by you. He's not caught off guard. There's nothing that you've ever done that he's just like, man, didn't see that coming. Didn't see that one. No, it's not that at all. It's that God has been from the very beginning encouraging, drawing, wooing his people into a relationship with him. The problem is, is that we've made some bad choices before. And if you go all the way back, you start to hear the story. And, and what happens is that God's original intent was that we would be together, that we would be family, that we would be together with him in relationship. But that got affected if you know the story. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that today, but I think it's so important that we understand that God didn't invent some new way, but that God was simply making sure that his original tent was, intent was actually being uh, uh, realized in the world. And that's important you see that because, because it's not just some new idea, but that the law was actually a really important piece of God's plan. And sometimes we just want to throw that out and be like, wow, that's not important anymore because I got Jesus. Well, that's not true. I think it's important that we understand the law has its, it, it, it has its place. And I want to read to you what it's about. And so in Romans chapter 3, if you're following along on, on the screen or in your own Bible, Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 19, I want you to listen to this. Obviously, Paul is writing, the law applies to those whom it is or it was given. Makes sense, right? For its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show the entire world that it's guilty before God. So if you're wondering what the law is for, and that's why we don't particularly like the law. Like the law is there to expose what's real. It's there to show us the problem. It's not there to be like, hey, come here, I'll give you a hug. No, no, it's there to say, look, we've got a problem. And so, so what the law is doing is help us see what the problem is. And so, so, so he goes on there and says in verse 20, 
For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. Now get that. So just by being, you know, following all the rules, come on people, just by following all the rules, we are not being made right with God is what the Bible says. So somehow the law is unable to save us or make us righteous in God's sight. That's, that's interesting. And then he goes on, he says, the law simply shows us how sinful we are. <laughs> Thanks, God. But you see the point. It's not that he's trying to make you feel like a worm. He's just trying to make sure you understand that there's a problem. That, that the excuses we make and the things that we say and the things that we do to kind of try and wiggle out of it. He's just trying to say, look, you just got to be honest. You've got problems. I've got problems. We've all got problems. And the law exposes that. And that's why the Old Testament and the law was important. Because it helped people see the problem. It helped people see the problem. But that's not where it stops. Because as we understand in the New Testament, Jesus shows up on the scene and he fulfills that law and ushers in a new time of what the Bible would describe as grace. And so the purpose of the law was to make sure that, that we followed the rules and the regulations. But my friends, it was never going to make us righteous. The only thing that would make us righteous is when Jesus came and he died on a cross to fulfill what God had planned. And that was the only way we were getting back into relationship with God. And that's how God set it up. Now, it's really important we see that at the very end of the Old Testament, there's a book called Malachi. And I, I want to read something from Malachi. And it's, it's not a... Uh, I, I want to read here in, in verse... Uh, starting in chapter 4, Malachi. It's not Malachi. It's not an Italian name or a designer. It's, it's Malachi. And so he was a prophet. <laughs> he was a prophet. And he was speaking into the future. Okay, and it's important you see that Malachi uh, is a prophet that basically is speaking 400 years before Jesus shows up. So between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there was 400 years of silence. God didn't speak for 400 years. That's a long time. And this is how the book of Malachi ends. Get this. And this is in, starting in verse 5. Watch this. Look, I'm sending... You, the prophet Elijah, before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. He's trying to get you to see that there's something coming. Most New Testament scholars believe that Elijah in this case represents John the Baptist. He goes on in verse 6. He says, his preaching will turn, look at this, the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. Do you see how this book ends? There's something that's shifting. There's something that's shifting from the old way of relating, the, 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 the law that's now shifting into a new way of relating, of grace, and it's happening because of Jesus. But in there, if you go one layer down, you start to discover what Jesus is really trying to usher in. And it's a relationship with the Father. That there's something about this new world that Jesus is bringing to us that is predicated on us understanding that God is relating to us as Father for a reason. Because it's there in that relationship and that understanding that we find everything that we need. But we don't always know it. 
We don't always know it because sometimes in this world, isn't it true that our experience of father isn't always a good one? And so the examples that we've had, even if your father was great, I guarantee he wasn't perfect. And that's the thing we have to understand, that our earthly examples of father aren't perfect. I'm not perfect. I want to be perfect to my kids, but, but I'm not. I mess up. I say things I shouldn't. I sometimes probably get angry. Am I the only one? Come on, men. Where you at? I know none of you have anger problems, right? But you see, see, see so we have these incomplete examples that sometimes don't lead us to a place of, like, I want to relate to, to, to God in that way. But I think we have to understand, regardless of our experience of Father, regardless, it doesn't change the fact that this is how God reveals himself. This is exactly what God is doing. This is exactly what Jesus was about, is that he was ushering, ushering in a new time of where we related to God in a different way. That the old way, the, the rules and the regulations really weren't the point, but that the relationship was the point. Is that somehow this relationship between father and son and father and daughter was somehow communicating to us what our relationship should be. And so fast forward 400 years, as you get to the New Testament, the beginning of the New Testament, the first four books of the New Testament, and maybe you've heard them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These are what the Bible, what people call the Gospels. And so you have different accounts of Jesus' life in this world. And so that 400 years has passed, and now Jesus is on the scene, and, and he starts to paint a picture of God that nobody has seen. That it is not common in the Old Testament experience at all. It's a new thing that he's ushering in on how we relate to God. I don't know if you know this, but in the New Testament, particularly just in the Gospels, that the word Father, Jesus refers to God as Father over 165 times. That's a big amount. That is a lot of times. And then Paul, who wrote a lot of the New Testament... Paul mentioned Father 40 times. So basically in the New Testament, God is referred to Father over 200 times. And in the Old Testament, God is referred to Father as in 12 times. See the difference? There's a shift. There's a massive shift that's occurring between the Old Testament and the New Testament because Jesus wants us to see something. That part of God's redemptive story from the very beginning, has been to help us get back to the relationship that we had with God. And that relationship was based on family. That relationship was based on father, son, father, daughter. This was what God's original intent was. And Jesus is getting us back to that. So there's a major shift. Jesus is fulfilling the law, and we see that. We see that God is moving in a different way. And it's not that somehow God, like I said, was confused or like, oh, that didn't work. Nope. God is sovereign. He knows exactly what he's doing. But his redemptive plan was being fulfilled in Jesus. But what I've noticed, and you probably have noticed this too, is that if you know that, if you've heard that, maybe you've even experienced that, I've found that even if you know that God is revealed as Father, it seems in our lives that we struggle to enter into that. That somehow we have a hard time relating to God in this way. 
And I sometimes wonder, why is that? What is it that keeps us from relating to God and struggling to relate to God in this way? Well, I think we got to go all the way back. I think we got to go all the way back to the very first book of the Bible, Genesis. And I don't know if you've ever read Genesis, but it's God's... Uh, uh, it's basically written where you understand how God made the universe, how he made people. I mean, all of that stuff, right? The first stuff. And so in chapter 3, verse 1, I want to read this to you because this helps us understand a little bit more why we struggle to enter into this relationship, okay? It's important we see this. And so there's a snake in the grass. Literally, there's a snake in the grass. And so starting here in verse 1, listen to this. The serpent, the serpent, the snake was the shrewdest of all wild animals the Lord God had made. And then watch this. One day, he asked the woman. So he's asking Eve a question. And look what he says. Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? That's it. That's the question. Now, I don't know if that strikes you as an important question, a weird question, or a, or a loaded question. I, I don't know how that strikes you. But what, what's happening in this question that is so critical that we see is that the snake, Satan, is trying to get Eve to doubt or question whether or not the Father can be trusted. Right there in that question. And so at the very heart of this question, underneath, he's trying to get Eve to question whether or not the Father can be trusted. My friends, that is a big deal. Because when we shift in our lives to a place that we believe that the Father can't be trusted, it absolutely destroys everything that God wants. And so the serpent's job was wanting to make sure that he stole, he killed, and destroyed everything that God wanted to give us. We were living in perfection. We were living in the Garden of Eden. It was perfect. And he asked the question to get Eve to start wondering, is, is it, oh, maybe, maybe, maybe. You know what I'm saying? And so, so what's happening is that he's trying to introduce a new way of thinking. That somehow we start to believe things that aren't true about God. Come on. How many times in our life have we believed things that weren't true about God? And someone shows up and says, that's not true. And you're like, oh. And you're, you didn't even know. Even some of the stuff we grew up with, some of the ideas we had, some of the stuff where we related to God through the law and not through grace. I mean, there's all kinds of things that happen. And what happens is the enemy keeps wanting you to think like you're not a part of God's family. That somehow God isn't for you. And somehow God can't be trusted. And he goes on. The story goes on in verse 6. It says, the woman was convinced convinced that I guess God couldn't be trusted. Now, I want you to see this. I think sometimes we read this passage of scripture, if you've ever read it, and usually what we do is we walk away from it and say very simply, well, this is how sin entered the world. Done. Moving on. I actually think it's deeper than that. Now, it's true that, that this is a very clear example of how sin entered the world in terms of how it affected 
But I don't always think we see the implications of the sin on our relationship. Like, I don't think we go that deep. I don't think we always see what's really going on. Not just that, that, that somehow God, the Father, can't be trusted, but we go on a step further. It says the woman was convinced. It says she saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruits looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom that it would give her. And so, so what does she do? She took some of that fruit and she ate it. Then watch this. She gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. So both of them now have taken hold of this fruit. Verse 7, watch this. At that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame. They suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together, look, 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 to cover themselves. Now what's going on? What's, what's happening here? What's, what's going on in this story that all of a sudden they're living in perfect harmony with God? Snake shows up and gets them to, to start to not trust God. And then as a result, they do something they shouldn't do. And then now all of a sudden they're in shame and they're hiding. They're hiding from a loving father who loves them. Why in the world would they be hiding? And yet they are. They're covering themselves up because they felt the shame. And what's happening is they're starting to believe that God is not loving. They're starting to actually believe it. So it started with, I don't know if I can trust him. Now I don't even know if he's loving. And how many times in our life have we believed that God isn't loving when we see things happen in the world? And our experiences of the world don't change the fact that God is who he says he is. And so we have to understand that this is important because there is a layer down of the relationship that's being eroded by this, these suggestions and these accusations that are coming from this snake in the grass. And then in Genesis verse 8, it goes on and it gets worse. He says, when the cool of evening breeze was blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. What a great place to be. To be in the very presence of God. God's like walking around in the garden. Doesn't that sound like a great place? It says, so, so they hid again. They hid. They hid from the Lord God among the trees. And I always struggle with that. Because one is, if God is sovereign, which I believe he is, can you really hide? <laughs> You know what I mean? Like he's walking around and they're hiding over in the trees and he's like, oh, I didn't see him over there. Like, <laughs> I see you. <laughs> and so God is sovereign. He's not surprised. He's not confused. He knows where they are, but yet they're hiding. Isn't that kind of an interesting thing that we do as well in our lives? How nonsensical is it that, that somehow when I do things that, quote, I'm ashamed of, that my reaction is to hide from the very one that sees me and think that somehow I'm getting away with it. You're like, ha ha, I got you, God. But it's, it's, it's deeper than that because they didn't hide because they were somehow, you know, processing theologically who God was. It wasn't that. They hid because they were ashamed. They hid because they were afraid. They were fearful 
because they started to believe that God isn't who he says he is. And what happens is fear starts to grab hold of us. And this fear keeps us in bondage, not just to our relationship with God, but everybody else in our lives. We stop being vulnerable, real, whatever you want to call it, simply because we're afraid of what might happen. And that's what's happening in this story. The very relationship between Adam and Eve and God is, the family of God is being eroded simply by a question that starts with trust, the love, the fear, and we stop thinking of God as our loving father who would do anything for us because he loves us. And the result in Genesis 3.23 is simply this. The Lord God banished them from the Garden of Eden. That's how the story ends, and ever since, we've been dealing with that problem. But here's the good news, that God doesn't leave us there. Ever since the very beginning, ever since this happened in the garden, God already had a plan, and he had been working on that plan, and he knew that Jesus was coming, and that was going to happen, and all the things, because he wanted to make sure that the one thing that was clear is who he is and what he was about. But man, when they left the garden, my friends, they had lost. They had lost big time. And what they had lost is they had lost their home and they had lost their father. And when you lose your home and your father, do you not think that that does damage to you as an individual? To you in terms of not only relating to God, but other people? Of course it does. And so they leave the garden with this limp, really, because they become homeless and fatherless simply because of what happened in the garden. And I don't know about you. I don't know how you relate to God. I don't know how you see God. Like when you pray, do you, how do you see God? Like, you know, do you think of him as like a white guy on a throne with a big old beard? I mean, do you think of him? I, I don't know. What do you think? What do you think? Is, it, is he a judge? Like, do you think of him? He's like sitting at like on the bench, you know, and he's the judge with the gavel. I don't know. What is it? You know, do you see him as a king? Do you see him as a ruler? Do you see him as Lord? I mean, I don't, I don't know. But what I found is, is how I view God matters. And your primary way of viewing God really matters. And I'll tell you this, if you don't see God as Father as your primary way of relating, what happens is you don't understand love. That's what you got to see. We can't just jettison Father from the equation because we had a bad father. The New Testament is revealing God as Father for the very reason that you would understand that God is love. When the Bible says God is love, that is personified in Father. You get this, right? I mean, this is making sense. I'm not saying you agree with me. I, that's not my, that's not, I'm just simply saying, do you understand how that happens? So, for example, if you saw God as judge, if you viewed God as your primary way of viewing God as judge, what are you looking for there? What's going to happen in the relationship? You're always going to think God is what? Judging you? You're going to see, well, it's the law. I broke the law. Now I'm in trouble. Now I got to do penance. Whatever that is, that's a problem. Because God's primary way of revealing himself in the New Testament is Father. It's important we see this. And it's the way that we truly enter into a loving relationship with our God. And God wants to heal whatever's broken in you because God's original intent was family. God's original intent was that we would be able to enter into that relationship and not live lives just based on rules and regulations, but on a relationship of father, son, father, daughter. See how that changes the dynamic. 
And so Jesus came into this world to reintroduce to us Father God. Now I say reintroduce for a reason. It's not like God, like I said, it's just like, you know, I got a better idea. I've got a better idea. No, he's reintroducing us to something. And it's important you see this because I think sometimes in the church, this is not what gets taught. When you come to church or maybe you've been in church for a long time, you might know that you are a sinner. <laughs> right? You've heard the preacher. You're a sinner. And you are. Jeez. I'm just kidding. But I'm not kidding, but I am kidding. So, so we hear that we're sinners, but we lose sight of something that's very important to the story. If you've ever read the book of Genesis, you know what happens in Genesis? God creates man. And in there, he says, I created him in my image. And matter of fact, after he creates the entire world, the thing he says about him, he says, all that's good. But when I created this guy, that's, that's it. Like he's like, that's the best. That's the best one. And so, so what my point is, is that God created us in the image of God. And God is not bad. <laughs> so... We have to understand that we were created in the image of God, therefore good. The issue is, in the garden, we believed the snake. And when we believed the snake, bad entered. That's why sometimes I call it good news, bad news, good news. But what's happening is that Jesus is reintroducing to us the father idea that was introduced to us in the garden. And now he's taking us all the way back to that story so that we can get connected with what God's original intent was, which was us in the garden living in perfection with him. And so often in our lives, we lose sight of that. It's not just that he's making us better because we're dirty rats. It's that we actually were created in the image of God. And Jesus is now restoring us back to that so that we could be with God in perfection and not just in heaven as you think of it up in the sky, but heaven now so that we would not live, uh, uh, that we would live from heaven and not for heaven. That somehow through my relationship with God, I'm being reintroduced into a relationship with the Father that I might be able to live in perfect peace and harmony and joy and love with God the Father now. And when that happens, what happens is it begins to change me into the person that God wants me to be. It, it begins to change and shift me. Because when I feel the embrace of the Father, when I feel the embrace of the Father, He begins to work on me. And I start to begin to believe again that I am His son and that you're His daughter. And that when you start to believe that, everything can change. Everything can change if you'll simply enter into the embrace of a father who loves you. But the only way you get there is through what Jesus did for you as He takes you back to what you were originally created to be. Whew. My friends, that is some of the best preaching I got. I'm, I'm just saying, and I mean that because if you don't feel that, I, I don't know how to help you because God loves you. Man, and Jesus came to get you there and I would hate for you to ever reject it. Why? Why reject that? Why? Why not live in his presence? If you could live in God's presence, why wouldn't you? Because you don't want him to mess with your habits or hurts or hangups? Come on. Are they that important to you? 
Are the things that we do that somehow separate us from God that important that we're unwilling to give them to God, thinking that they're going to hurt us? That's what the enemy wants you to believe. Everything that God wants you to stop doing is only there to help you so that you can be all that God wants you to be. I love that. And the enemy convinces you, well, if you give this up, you won't have any fun in life. That's dumb. God is more than able to help you have fun in life. I'm <laughs> just saying it. Come on. Okay. So here's the deal. I'll be done in a second, I promise. But here's the deal. We have a problem, and that is that this orphan spirit, this orphan heart that came on us in the garden, which I'll talk more about through this series, this idea that we have no home and no father, actually begin to affect us in ways that we don't even know about. Like you can be saved and still be affected by this orphan heart. Get that. That's like, like you can be physically free from slavery, but still be a slave in your mind. Get that. And so what can happen is I can be saved, but that doesn't mean I'm living from a place of sonship or daughtership. I'm not living there. And so we have to see that, that God wants us to, to, to begin to introduce this so that we understand that, that there's something wrong. But here's the problem. I can't pray over you. So if you came down front and I was going to pray, and I was going to pray for you to be healed or whatever, I actually can't pray that this spirit, this orphan spirit, so to speak, would be cast out of you. Now, this is interesting because we normally think, well, we can just cast that out. Here's the problem. This spirit actually can't be cast out. It has to be replaced. Now, what does it have to be replaced with? Well, the Bible says very clearly there is a spirit of adoption. And so what happens is you have to pull that one out and replace it with the good. You have to take the lie out and replace it with the truth. And what you're replacing it with is that you have been adopted into God's family. And now you are a son or daughter of God, period. Therefore, child of God. And now as you begin to believe that and live in that, this orphan spirit isn't coming back. Now, it might knock, but you don't have to let it in. Because you get to live now from a place of victory and freedom. Does that make sense? And so you have to see that it has to be replaced with the spirit of adoption. Like I said, but we're going to talk about this throughout the series. But before we get to any of that, I want to just kind of land here. There are two places in the Bible that we actually get to hear God speak directly to his son. And people get to hear it. So there's two places where that happens. One is at his baptism and the other is at the Mount of Transfiguration. And so God speaks in these events, and people that are there actually hear it. It's pretty cool. I mean, just to think about it, these are the two times that it happens in the Bible. And so one at his baptism, one at the Mount of Transfiguration. And I'll explain that in just a second. But, but let's start here in the book of Matthew. These are the two instances. We'll just read from the Gospel of Matthew, which is the first book in the New Testament, starting in chapter 3. But listen to this. These are the words that God spoke to his son. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At, the moment, at that moment, heaven opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and a, light, a lighting on him. 
And a voice from heaven, look at what he says. This is my son whom I love and with whom I am well pleased. That's it. That's what God said about his son. And you're sitting there on the edge of the water and you're hearing this voice and God the Father is speaking directly to his son and he says, man, this is my son. I love him and I'm well pleased with him. Isn't that cool? I just love that. And then you fast forward to chapter 17 of Matthew and you see the Mount of Transfiguration and it's there on that mountain that Jesus is there and Peter's there and John's there and then all of a sudden Elijah and Moses show up. I mean, it's, it's a real cool event, right? And right there, God says something to these people that are present. He says, look at this in verse 5 of 17. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them and a voice from the cloud said, this is my son. Look at this. Whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. And then I love this last part. He adds this. Listen to him. <laughs> Isn't that good? Like Peter's like, hey, let's talk to Elijah. And God's like, forget Elijah. You got Jesus here. You need to listen to him. That's who you need to listen to. And so, 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 so there are really three things that are communicated in both of these accounts that I want us to just focus on for the last few minutes together because I believe these things are the things that help us replace this orphan spirit. These three things are the things that get us on track to replace it so that we can bring in the spirit of adoption that God wants us to have. And so God spoke these words. Number one is that this is my son. Now, why would God start there? What's the point of God starting with this is my son? Well, because God was wanting to secure identity. Because when we have our identities secure, all the other things in the world that try to define us no longer have power. And it's so important we see this. And so God actually starts there. He starts with his son there. He wants you to know that Jesus is who he says he is and that he's my son and everybody listening and everybody that will listen to this story, that that is who Jesus is. He's my son and I'm his father. It's important. It's important we see this. Now, I want you to do something for me, an exercise. Just close your eyes for a second. And I'm going to ask you a question. I just want you to think about what first comes to your mind. When I ask this question, just fill in the blank afterwards, okay? With one single word, whatever it is. But here's the question. Who am I? Now, I don't know what you heard. I don't know what word came there. I don't know what word you thought of. There's probably a variety of words that could have come. You know, maybe, but maybe they're not good words. You know, maybe they're words like abandoned, homeless, fatherless, you know, someone who was disinherited. Some, maybe you heard dirty. Maybe you heard uh, dumb. You know, I don't know. I don't know what you heard. But when you hear the word, who am I, what, what comes next? And then, then, then it could be that when I said that, who am I, you were like, you heard things like successful, you know, powerful. You heard uh, I'm self-reliant. You know, I don't know what you heard. You know, I, I, I made this. <laughs> I'm a big deal, <laughs> you know. But here's the point. Whatever you heard, whether it was bad or good or in between or some version, whatever, Here's the point. There's, there's really only two answers to this question. And this is the thing we've got to see. Is when I hear the word, who am I? 
the next thing coming out of your mouth, depending on your gender, is whether or not I'm a son or daughter. So when someone asks you that question, and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, who am I ends with son. For you, son. Who am I? Daughter. You get that. It's important you see this, because see, that's what God is trying to get us to see as it relates to his son. Then before Jesus did anything, that his identity was secure in who he was created to be. It's important. It's important. It's either son or daughter. Number two, he goes on, he says, whom I love. I love that. That was kind of redundant, but hey, come on. It's a joke, guys. Come on, are you with me? Whom I love. He says, and what's happening in this, when God says, whom I love, he's trying to communicate acceptance. He's trying to get us to see that, 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 that God accepts him, that, that God loves him, that, he's no, that, that, that this isn't just some random guy, that this is his son. And so often in our lives, we don't associate ourselves in that way. And what happens is that we start to live like orphans or slaves or servants or whatever it is in the house of God. And, exact, and we, have, we have access to everything that God wants to give us. And so whom I love, he's referring to his son and he's communicating that acceptance. And I love that because you know what? Right here in the book of Matthew... Before Jesus ever did anything in ministry, God says, I accept him. Come on. Because some of us live in a relationship with God that if, if I don't perform, if I'm not this, if I'm not holy enough, if I don't live up to the standards, if I don't follow the rules and regulations, then what happens is somehow my relationship with God is affected. And that is not what God wants you to take hold of. So before you do anything for God, before you ever did anything for God, God did for you what you could not do. And he accepts you right there. That's it. And anything else is just your attempt to love him. And there's nothing wrong with loving people. And so it's important that it doesn't affect your sonship or daughtership. That's important. Because some of us are wrapped up so much in our performance that we can't even see straight. I'm setting some of you free today. Because that'll, that'll help you. Number three, with him I am well pleased. I like that. I'm well pleased. I always like to, I always like to read that as, I love him and I really like him too. You know, I kind of, in other words, he's expressing approval. He's expressing approval of his son. And you know what I love about that is there's nothing Jesus did. It's just, he was just his son. So I approve of you. Like I think about like when I, you know, I have three kids and my kids are older now, a little older now. And, and so they're not little babies anymore, you know? And so I think little babies are cool because they, especially when they're really young, I feel like they don't smell. I don't know if you had that experience, but I just felt they just smell like babies. And something about babies smell good. I don't know. And even like their excretions, it's like those don't even smell. I don't know what it is. 
But man, they get older and they start eating. They start to smell it. You know, okay, I'm off topic. <laughs> but I remember when they were born and I saw them for the first time. There was this sense of like, whoa, how cool is that? I, somehow I love this human, right? I, I didn't ever even talk to him. Didn't know anything about him, but I, I like him. I love him. I'm, I'm pleased. I'm ex- I accept you. You've never done anything for me, but yet I accept you just where you are. And I think sometimes we forget because we don't relate to God as Father that that's how He thinks of us. That we never did anything for Him. He he did it for us. And out of that relationship comes this enormous amount of approval and acceptance from our Father. His voice is really the only voice that matters in this life. And somehow... We enter into that, and it's just a beautiful thing. And so my heart for us today is that that would be something that you experience in your life as well. And I want to read this passage from Romans, just so you kind of start to see where we're going. In Romans 8, 14 through 16. And I hope you'll come back for the remainder of this series, but let me, listen, let me, let me read this. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received, look at this, the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Come on. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Paul was writing to his people and he was saying, man, you've got to get this because the only way you're going to replace this orphan mentality is that you got to grab hold of the spirit of adoption that God has given you and begin to relate to God as Father. And when you do, all those chains are going to come off. I want to read this as a declaration. And so if you want to say this with me, you don't have to, but if you want to declare this, uh, I think it's important that we make declarative statements as followers of Jesus. And so this is just one that I wanted us to read together. So let's read it if you you want to father from the very beginning your plans was for me to be your son or daughter you are my place of perfect peace and love I am completely safe and secure in your presence your presence is where I find and know who I am I will rest in your arms that's so good I will rest in your arms, my loving Father. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word and what it means to us. Lord, I pray right now for any any wayward, wandering son or daughter that they'd come back today into the fold. They'd come back to the family of God. Just tell him, say, Lord, I want to come back. I want to be in the house of God. I want to be in the family I don't want to walk away from you. I came to my senses. I'm turning around. Just say to him, Lord, I need you. I'm sorry. Will you accept me back into the family? Because he loves you. He's your father. He's not mad at you. He has grace and love enough for you. The Bible says that if you'll confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, that Jesus is who he says he is, that he'll actually come in and save you, transform you, and make you into the person he wants you to be. And you'll have that experience of father if you want it. 
And so I just want to ask you today, if you're not sure of that, if you're not sure of that relationship, if you, if you would say, I haven't really taken that step into a relationship with the Son so that I can have access to the Father, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to the gospel. And so right now, in faith, on the count of three, I'm just going to ask you to lift up your hands. Nobody's going to look at you or point you out. I just, I just want to see your hands so I can pray with you. And, and so if that's you today, on the count of three, just go ahead and raise your hand up. One, two, three. Go ahead. Just raise them up. Anybody there? God bless you. Anybody else? Okay. All right, church. Everybody, we're all going to pray together. Nobody's praying alone in here, and so just re repeat this prayer after me. Lord Jesus, I need you. Forgive me of my sins. Wash me clean. I surrender my life to you. Be my Lord. Change me from the inside out. I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we celebrate those that are making decisions today? Come on. It's so good. We're so proud.